Good morning and welcome to Malvern Hill Baptist Church. My name is Craig and I'm the senior pastor here and it is our privilege to have you gathered with us together as we've come to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3. As you're turning... Let me just urge you, as Adam already did, to pay attention to your worship folder and look at the announcements in there. We really could use some help in our fall festival that's coming up. Uh, We do need candy. We do need volunteers. And an area that often gets overlooked is we need people to sign up uh, to um, do follow-up for us during the fall festival. So what happens is everybody shows up, uh, somewhere between 1,500 and 2,000 people. They all register and then own... So the fall festival is on Thursday this year. Our goal will be before Sunday, so on Friday and Saturday, to call every person who attended our fall festival, offer to pray for them, and invite them to church on Sunday morning. As you can imagine, if there are 2,000 people, that takes a little while. But if a bunch of y'all will sign up um, on the sheet back here to participate in that, uh, then that, that goes a lot quicker. Our goal is to... For every volunteer to maybe have about 10 names that they have to call on, uh, on Friday or Saturday. So if you could help us with that follow-up, we would greatly appreciate it. You might find some pretty cool things. You may call somebody that says, wow, uh, it's incredible that a church would be willing to pray for me. And you have a chance to pray for them. You might have an opportunity to call somebody that says, you know what, I, somebody shared the gospel with me at your church and I prayed to receive Christ. What are the next steps? Uh, you might just have somebody that just calls and says, hey, I'm involved in another church, but thank you so much for that phone call. You know what we don't ever find? We don't ever find anybody that goes, why would you call me? Everybody's thankful uh, to receive a phone call from somebody who'd be willing to pray for them. So we'll give you all the things you need. We'll give you phone numbers. We'll even give you a script because some of you are going, I can't do that. I'd be afraid. That's fine. We'll give you a script that you can read from so that you don't have to be afraid. All right, hopefully by now you've made it to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Um, And uh, I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's Word. We've been working through this sermon series on what a healthy church looks like. And today we're going to be talking about biblical leadership. You can understand uh, that that as a pastor, I tiptoe through some of this because uh, a, a pastor preaching about pastoral leadership and pastoral authority can appear to be self-serving, so we have to work diligently to avoid that. The way that we avoid that is by sticking as closely as we can to God's Word, and we have to worry a little about those things. So here now, for this is the Word of God. This isn't Craig's Word. Um, I didn't write this. Uh, This comes from the um, God-breathed pen of Paul as the Lord inspired him to write this to Timothy nearly 2,000 years ago. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would give us biblical wisdom and understanding about what it is to be led as a local church. That, Father, you'd give us the humility to trust that your word guides us, Lord God. The humility to believe that you know best, even if it might not feel that way all of the time. Lord God, I pray that you would guide our church with biblical leadership. And that more than anything else, that your Holy Spirit, Lord God, would move among us and lead us in ways and paths of righteousness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We seem to be always in an election cycle here in the United States. But of course right now we are in the middle of a presidential election cycle. There are few constitutional requirements for what the President of the United States would be. But those few constitutional requirements must be followed. 
And here are the things. He must be a natural-born citizen of the United States. I say he, it could be a she, because again, the sex is not dictated in the Constitution. So, naturalized citizens of the United States cannot become the President of the United States, must be at least 35 years of age. So, a 16-year-old can't run for President of the United States, and the President must have been a resident of the United States for at least 14 years prior to running for that office. So, um, so as to avoid Russian collusion, for instance. Y'all were supposed to laugh. Um, thank you. Uh, uh, the, the person running for president can't be a citizen of the United States who has lived in a foreign country um, for you know the 10 years prior. So you can't uh, move out of the U.S. at 25, live in Spain for 15 years, and then move back and immediately launch your presidential campaign. You've, you've got to be a, a, a resident of the United States for at least 14 years prior. Those are non-negotiables unless we're going to change the Constitution. Folks, when it comes to who it is that is going to lead in the local church, the Bible has given us a list of what those requirements are, of the characteristics that must be present within the leadership within a local church. Now, the Bible only outlines two offices in the local church. This morning, we're only going to speak to the role of pastor slash elder slash overseer because, as we'll see in a few minutes, those are words that the Bible uses synonymously. The other office that the Bible speaks to is the office of of deacon. Let me just say that this morning, since I'm only going to speak to the role of the pastor, the office or the role of a deacon is almost identical with that of the pastor with the exception of the responsibility of oversight and the ability to teach. Okay? Pastors must be able to teach. Deacons are the servant leaders in the church, and as a result of that servant leader ministry, the role of oversight is not, because again, the role of a pastor is is, is variously referred to as overseer or shepherd or elder, shepherd is pastor, okay, or elder, okay? So that's where I'm saying that, that role of, of teaching and that role of oversight. But as far as the characteristics of a deacon, with the exception of the ability to teach, the deacon is to be a, a, a man of equal character standing with that of the pastor. We don't have a gradation in the local church of varsity and JV Christians. Do you understand? As a matter of fact, what we're going to see is that the characteristics, the character qualities of the pastor don't look that much different than what would be expected of what Watchman Nee would have called the normal Christian life. You see, when Paul puts in these expectations for what the pastor is to be, it's not like he's saying, we need the really spiritual ones and then we need everybody else. Paul's pretty much just saying, we need people that look like Christians to lead the local church. And then if, you could, if, you, if you'd be willing to allow me, you could maybe hear Paul whispering in the background, and that should be all of you. So, Healthy churches have healthy pastors. Y'all got to smile. I don't know if I'm the problem here this morning. Y'all look miserable. I mean, look, I watched football yesterday. Some of you I know are not in a good place, but a whole bunch of you should be in a real good place today. So if y'all could just smile, pretend like you're happy to be here, it would be great. I don't know. Maybe y'all are angry about me preaching on pastors. I don't know. All right, but let's see if we can't have a good time with this this morning. All right, what is biblical leadership? What is biblical leadership? Um, And again, I recognize the dangers I've already mentioned, that some of this could come across as self-serving. It could not just come across as self-serving. If I abuse my role and my my opportunity right here, it could actually be self-serving. You understand? So we've got to make sure that we live in the Word of God, not only in this sermon but in all. So let's look first of all at what are the pastoral qualifications. 
What are the qualifications for pastor? The qualifications for church leaders, they're really not debatable. It's kind of like that list that I just outlined for the president. You don't get to go, well, I guess you could, could kind of fudge it. No, they, it's, there's a lot of black and white right here. And so let's just look at this list that the Bible gives us in 1 Timothy 3. Now, he gives us nearly, Paul and, 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 and the Lord speaking through Paul gives us nearly the exact list in Titus. In Titus, he applies the term elder. This is why we recognize that these are synonymous terms because the same qualifications exist for, the, the, for people given various title of overseer and elder. We're going to talk about those a little bit more in just a few minutes. But the qualifications, he says, first, and, and, and don't miss this, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Somewhere in the evangelical church, we created this sort of false humility around the idea that anybody who was going to be a pastor should do so sort of resistantly or hesitantly, that they got to be drug kicking and screaming into that role. Paul says if you aspire to this, you're aspiring to a noble task. It's a good thing to serve God's people. With that in the back of our mind, therefore an overseer must be above reproach, number one. Okay? Outside the ability to be easily accused of anything. Okay? Number two, an overseer uh, must be the husband of one wife. Listen, in this entire list of qualifications, only two of them have room for us to have some confusion about what it is. This is one, the husband of one wife. What does it mean? Variously, it's been interpreted through the years as he must be married or he must not remarry if he is widowed. Or he must not be divorced and remarried. Or he must not be polygamous. Or he must be a man of chastity. Literally, the Greek language, the Greek word here is a one-woman man. Period. What does that mean? Above everything else, it means that a man who is leading in the local church should be a man of upstanding and impeccable sexual morality and fidelity. Okay? That's what it means. Now, there will be various interpretations throughout the church. The only place that we can find unanimous agreement is that it means that a man must be committed to the woman he's married to, period. The picture here is bigger than we usually make it. He can't have wandering eyes or wandering minds. He can't be engaged in pornography. He can't be flirtatious. He's got to be undoubtedly 110% committed to that one woman, period. Flirtatious men cannot serve as pastors and likewise as deacons because of the exact same term. So one woman man, he must be sober-minded. This is the other one that we get a little confusion about. What is the sober-minded? Does this mean he can't be you know, a, a drunkard? Well, we're going to get to the drunkard part in a minute, so I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think right here the sober-minded idea is he's got to be of a single mind. He's got to be clear-headed, Right? He's got to be somebody that's thinking with a clear mind. He must be self-controlled. Not somebody that just flies off at the handle. Respectable. Hospitable. Those men who would lead your church, biblically, have a responsibility to have open homes. I don't back down from this. A pastor has the biblical responsibility to have a home and a family that is open to other people. Closed homes do not make the biblical requirement for pastor and deacon, period. Um, he must be uh, able to teach. This is the, the biggest difference between a pastor, elder, overseer, and again, y'all, I'm, I'm going to use those terms kind of synonymously and interchangeably here this morning. The biggest difference between him and the deacons is that he's able to teach. Deacons don't have the biblical requirement that they're able to teach. Why? Because their primary responsibility is the servant leaders in the church to meet the ministerial needs of the church. They don't have to stand up and be able to teach. If you're going to be called by the title elder, overseer, or pastor, you've got to be able to teach, Period. 
If you can't teach, you, you don't fulfill. And that's okay. Hear me say that. It's okay. Right? There's room in God's church for all sorts of people. And if everybody were teachers, there'd be nobody to teach. You understand? And if everybody were musicians, there'd be nobody to play for. Or to, or with. I, I want to make sure I use the right word there. We're, we're, not an, we're not an audience watching ministry take place up here. Alright. Uh, must not be a drunkard. That's pretty self-explanatory. Right? Not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome. Not a lover of money. Again, these are pretty easy. The Greek and all of these things say the same thing the English does. You've got to be a decent human being. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. How does the Bible identify good parenting? Now, now understand, this is going to be in, in a home with, with children still in the home. This isn't adult children, okay? But how does the Bible identify good parenting? And how can you tell whether or not you're parenting well with children in your home? So let's say, because let's say, biblically, when does, a man, when does a child become a man? About age 13, okay? Something like that. So we're going to talk younger children. How does the Bible identify good parents? If the children do the right thing. Mamas and daddies, y'all need to listen to me. If you think you're doing a good job with your four-year-old and your four-year-old doesn't behave, you're probably not. Now, I know that that's not very gentle, okay? Because, I've look, I've had four four-year-olds, okay? They can be an absolute nightmare. I get it. But we're going to identify our parenting not based upon whether or not you read a good parenting book. Not based, and, and we've got to all do this. When I'm evaluating whether or not I'm doing my job as a parent, it's not about whether or not y'all think I'm doing my job as a parent because I told y'all what I deal with my kids. It's about whether or not I'm actually creating little children who are going to grow up to love Jesus. Do my children, are my children submissive, right? If your teachers... If the teachers in the school hate to see your children come in, you need to ask the question whether or not you're doing your job well as a parent. Okay? Because the Bible says he keeps them submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household well, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up. Again, we don't take a man who has been a believer for three weeks and put him into the role of pastor. Okay, we, we, the, the church gets all up in arms when there are these high-profile conversions. Y'all seen this? So, so right now, the, the, the biggest high-profile conversion is, uh, is, is Kanye West. So supposedly Kanye West gave his life to Jesus about five or six months ago. Um, his, the, the guy, the pastor that's been discipling him, if y'all know who he is, he's an he's a R&B uh, slash rap artist. Uh, the, the, the pastor who's supposedly been discipling him has come out and spoken to his credit, he says, I really think this is legitimate. I've been working with him, been walking with him. Uh, here's the reality, folks. First of all, we need to pray to the Lord Jesus that that is true. Because it doesn't matter whether he's Kanye West or he's homeless on the corners of, of, of Broad and DeKalb. Any sinner that comes to Jesus Christ deserves the prayers of God's people and the celebration of God's people. You understand? But here's what we don't do. We don't go, he's famous, and he seems to be showing signs, so as soon as possible, let's put a microphone in his hand and put him on the stage. The Bible says that we don't put a recent convert up there. Why? Because he might get puffed up. The last thing we want is to put him up there. The first thing we need to do is get him grounded in the Word. Get him grounded. You don't want to call, as a pastor, a man that's been a Christian for six months. Probably not 16 months. As a matter of fact, I think in our Constitution and bylaws, a man can't serve as a deacon, and so certainly not as a pastor unless he's been a believer for three years. Three years. All right? Must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up and fall into conceit of the devil, uh, or condemnation of the devil. Moreover, I love this one. He must be well thought of by outsiders so that he might not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. Leaders in the church have a responsibility to take care of their reputation outside of the church. We don't get to say, well, I'm just trying to please Jesus. The Bible says you've got a responsibility to mind your character and your witness and your testimony outside the walls of this building. That means we need to do everything that we can. I was in a restaurant years ago here in town. And uh, there was a man that was sitting across the way from me. And I'll just be honest with you. He was a pastor. He was not a Southern Baptist pastor. He's not a Baptist pastor at all. Um, and I, I'm not even sure if he's still in this community. But I know that he was a pastor in this community. Uh, 
and, uh, but I, I don't know him, if that makes sense. I don't have a relationship with this guy. A waitress came over, and, and she knew me, and she was serving me. She said, do you know that guy? I said, I, not really. Um, I said, I, I, I'm not, you know, she says, well, he is a pastor. Now, my waitress is not a believer. I said, oh, okay. She said, he is the worst, rudest customer that I ever have. He comes in, he gives me a hard time, he never leaves me a tip. I wish he'd never come through the doors of this place again. We must be well thought of by outsiders. Otherwise, how in the world are we ever going to give them the gospel of Jesus Christ? This is why you don't leave those fake $20 bill tracks as a, as, a, uh, um, as a tip at a restaurant. Some of y'all open your mouth like you can't believe that would ever happen. Folks, get on board. That's happened before. If you're going to leave a fake 20, you better leave a real 100, okay? All right, so pastoral qualifications. We're going to camp out there for a minute and we're going to move on. But understand, these are the things. These are not negotiable. We might disagree about how we interpret a couple of these, but we are not negotiating on whether or not these are the requirements because God said so. See, when it comes to biblical leadership, we don't get to create our own understanding. God decided what the qualifications are going to be. Our responsibility is to take God's word and apply it into our local church. Right? So those are the qualifications. But number two, what about biblical leadership? What are the pastor's responsibilities? The pastor or pastors have a responsibility to set the tone and the direction of the church. That, that, that responsibility exists. So here we see, in Timothy, he refers to them as an overseer. Um, in Titus, he calls them an elder. And then in Ephesians 4.11, we see that Paul talks about the role of the pastor. We have three titles that are given to essentially the same role in the local church. And so when you talk about me as your pastor, I have the responsibility to serve as overseer, pastor or shepherd, and elder. So let me explain those three words. And, and here at Malvern Hill, we actually use those terms synonymously. Sometimes I talk about pastors, sometimes I talk about elders, sometimes... Why? Because the Bible uses all of those words. And it's important that we kind of weave them all in. What do they mean? Well, the first thing we see is Paul says that he's got to be an overseer. This, I believe, is the most neglected responsibility of pastors in the majority of evangelical churches in the United States of America. Pastor has a responsibility to serve as overseer. Now, that word overseer... Um, comes from, from a, a, the Greek word episkopos. It just means that he's a, he's a leader. He's a manager in the church. The pastor has a responsibility to do more than preach and more than visit. He is an overseer in the local church. And he's got to own that responsibility. I don't get to say... Somebody asked me this morning about a me, uh, uh, something that's coming up, a ministry thing. And, and they looked at me in a life group and they said, is that, is that, is that, did, I, did I read that correctly? I was like, I, I, I didn't read the email. I don't know. They were all right to look at me and go, how do you not know the answer to that question? Now, what I said, y'all love this. I said, hey, I give people freedom to fulfill their responsibilities, and I'm back off, and I'm hands-free. No, that the judgment coming from some of y'all right now is tough for me to deal with. Look, the pastor has a responsibility to lead and to man. That means he needs to have his hands to some degree in the day-to-day -day affairs of the church. Not just the practical ministry things. The pastor needs to have some kind of an idea about what's happening with the money. The pastor needs to have some kind of idea about what's happening with the, the responsibility and the assignment of, of, uh, of, of, of leaders and of, of volunteers in the church. I don't dig in. I don't know what any of y'all give every single week. I, I'm not privileged to that information as far as personal giving. But I need to be keeping up with the budget. I need to know where the money's going. I have that because the Bible says that my role is as an overseer. I'm good. I believe from the bottom of my heart that I'll stand before the Lord and give an account for what I've done as the pastor of this church. And one of those things is going to be did you lead well? Pastor is the overseer, the manager, the leader, the guide. 
Second there, we see this in Titus, that he is the elder. What is the elder? Now, that's a word that gets carried over. It's, 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 it's a common word throughout history. So it gets carried over not only from the Jewish tradition, it's carried over even from Hellenistic roles and from the Greek tradition. The elder is literally, most of the time, an old guy. Okay? Why? And even when they're not old, it's going to be somebody who acts old. What do we mean by that? Well... At least theoretically, age is supposed to bring wisdom and knowledge and understanding. At least in theory, the older you are, the more you should know. Only in American culture do we not value the aged as, as, as wellsprings of wisdom. In the American culture, we flipped it around. So everybody wants to be as young as they possibly can. In other cultures, traditionally, there's been a real appreciation for those who have aged and who have aged well, and they want to gather around and hear what the, the elders, the older folks in the community have to say. So the role of elder here is this idea of a wise teacher or counselor. And the pastor, that's the teaching aspect. And the pastor has that responsibility. And so when he writes to Titus and says, man, in Crete, the things are messed up. Paul writes, he says, I left you there because you've got to bring some order in that place because it's all messed up, so you need to make sure there are elders in all the churches that can teach and preach well. What did he mean? You need to make sure there are people there who can rightly divide the Word of God to help the people be properly discipled. The pastor, in other words, has a responsibility to preach. Now, some of y'all call me preacher. I'm not offended by that, but if anybody asks me, if I want to be referred to as a title, I, I want to be referred to as pastor. Because a pastor does more than just preach. But a pastor certainly can never do less than preach, than rightly dividing the Word of God. That means that if a man can't preach, he can't be your pastor. He might be the nicest man in the world. He might be the best at visiting in the hospital. He might be the best at sweeping the floors and painting the walls or whatever he might be really good at doing. But if he can't preach the Word of God, he cannot pastor a local church, period. But listen to me, if he can't or won't do anything but preach, he cannot pastor your local church. Because the Bible gives the pastor more responsibilities than preaching. Now, I'm a believer in education. I'm a big believer in education. I got a Ph.D. for a reason, because I believe in education, the value, and the power. I believe that when God called me to pastor, He called me to be as prepared as possible. So I've done as much as I can. But I'm going to tell you some way, one place that some of my seminary professors got it wrong is when they urged that a, that a pastor that's going to rightly preach the Word of God needs to spend 30 to 40 hours each week in sermon preparation. Listen to me. If a man's spending 40 hours a week preparing his sermons, there's no way that he's engaged in the other responsibilities he's got to engage in. Now, it's difficult for me to do sermon prep in less than about 20 hours a week. And sometimes it bleeds over. This one, this one like to wore me out. I mean, it might not seem that hard to y'all, but Wednesday about uh, lunchtime, I, I, I stepped out. I shut my door. I said, Autumn, I'm going to shut my door. I'm, I need a few minutes. I, I, what I needed a few minutes to do was to fall down on my face before the Lord and say, God, this thing is wearing me out, and I'm not getting anywhere. Can you please help me? It takes a while to preach God's Word rightly, to be prepared to preach God's Word li rightly. But a pastor has a responsibility to do more than preach. So he's an overseer, he's an elder, and then he is a pastor. Ephesians 4.11 says that some were given as evangelists and apostles and prophets and pastors. The role of pastors is this idea of a shepherd. And we don't get a better picture of that than we do in the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And then we get that picture. So, so the pastor, the shepherd. Now we, we of course serve under the great shepherd. Jesus refers to himself as the great shepherd. But the shepherd has a responsibility to lead the sheep into places where they're going to be fed. So I've got a responsibility to feed you. This, this is sort of a carryover into this idea of teaching. I've got to give you the word. I've also got to not only give you the word, I've got to make sure I lead you into places where you can feed yourself. We've got to make sure that we, we're equipping the church to do all those things and to read the word. But there's also this idea of a, of a shepherd your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. 
The shepherd has a responsibility to protect. That means that as pastor, I have the responsibility when I can to root out wrong, unbiblical teaching within the church. This is why even in our life groups, we don't just say, y'all teach whatever you want and and, and we're not going to worry about it. We've got a rubric that says if somebody wants to teach something in the church, the first thing they got to do is we've got a, a, a... a guideline that we can print out, and we're going to compare it to all of these things. Why? Because we want to make sure that anything that's getting taught is taught rightly. It's the Word of God. That's my responsibility as a protector, okay, of the sheep and of the body here at Malvern Hill. But the shepherd also provides care. In Isaiah chapter 42, when the Bible talked about Jesus as our great shepherd, it said, What? It said, a burning wick he will not snuff out, and a broken reed he will not break. There's got to be a gentleness in a pastor. A gentleness that comes alongside the hurting, the broken, the outcast, the down and the out, and it binds them up. The shepherd binds up the hurt sheep. Folks, a man who's going to serve as a pastor has got to be willing to do that. To get down in the dirt and the mire and the muck and the hard places of people's lives and to walk with them in those things. Pastors should weep with their people. Pastors should weep for their people. Pastors should be with their people in the hard times and in the good times. So you got pastoral qualifications, you got pastoral responsibilities. And then finally, you've got a church's proper response. Healthy churches have healthy pastors, but the relationship is reciprocal. In other words, a healthy pastor is encouraged to fulfill his role as pastor by the church that he leads. What do I mean by that? I mean that healthy churches tend to make healthy pastors. One of the things we talk about in marriage counseling, we've been talking about it in our marriage seminar on Sunday nights, is that over time, a spouse has the opportunity to actually, and y'all don't twist my words, okay? Just give me a minute. To actually make their spouse into the person they want to be married to. All right? So, So what I mean by that is, Ladies, if you will build your husband up, for, you have an opportunity to see him become more and more the man that you would like for him to be. And men, if you'll build your wives up, you have the opportunity to see them become more and more the woman that you'd like them to be. That's, that's, just, that's just life. Okay? You tear them down and you will watch. You will just ruin them. In a church, when a church responds to a pastor, it's amazing. That man feels, feels encouraged and supported and he continues to grow in, in, in health and, and, and to become a better leader. If you want to have a healthy pastor, work diligently to be a healthy church. Now, it's, it's easy for me to teach this here at Malvern Hill because I feel like we're a pretty healthy church and I'm pretty supported as a pastor here. I don't have to preach this message with fear and trepidation. There are some churches where the pastor ought to invite me to come preach this sermon to his people so that he can get it said and he doesn't have to say it and then they can run me out of town, you know? Again, that was supposed to be funny. But, but sometimes, churches get in the way. Hebrews 13, 17. Well, let, me, let me back up. Let's go to Malvern Hill for a minute. Then, and then we'll move to Hebrews 13, 17. Twelve years ago when I came to Malvern Hill. Listen, uh, how, many, how many people in here are there on the committee that brought me here? Did I run all of you off? Only one of you? Oh, there's two. Thank God. I thought we were in a world of hurt. The rest of them are still members. They just aren't here today, I'm sure. That's not true we got to work on this. Yeah, we got to. We, anyway, moving forward. Twelve years ago when I came to Malvern Hill, uh, and, 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 and I, we, you know, me and Angela and then that first day, little baby Wyatt and, and, and all that other stuff. But twelve years ago when I came to Malvern Hill, uh, it wasn't the kind of place where everybody was just jonesing to get here. Okay? Twelve and a half years. It just wasn't. Right? Uh, it, there, 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 was a, there was a history there of pastors that came and left pretty rapidly. Um, and, and, you know, when I called people and I asked, there was this mixed bag of responses. Some people said, I think it could be a good place. Nobody said it is a good place. Just for, nobody said, oh, yeah, I love this one. I think it could be. And I, what does that even mean, you know? Uh, one was like, hey, I would rent a house if I were you. <laughs> oh, <laughs> cool. <laughs> you know? Um, 
and, 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 and I was just this mixed bag. There's a reason that they hired a 27-year-old guy to come. Y'all think about that. Um, some of you will get it on the way out, and that's fine. But there was something that happened. Twelve years in, this is an amazing play. I'm going to tell you, if a bus hits me on the way home today, people are going to kill to come be the pastor at Maryland Hill Baptist Church. That's the truth. They want to be here. And part of the reason they want to be here is because, y'all, I sing your praises everywhere I go. The whole world knows this is a great place. But if I get hit by a bus, it's, but, but, but a lot of people go, wow, Craig, what did you do? And that's where we got to pump the brakes. Because first of all, the Holy Spirit's done the work through the power of the Word of God. But second of all, a pastor cannot effectively lead in a local church unless there is a willingness on the part of that local church to allow that pastor to lead. And when I came to Malvern Hill, there were a group of people that looked at me and said, we think that maybe we're part of the problem that pastors won't stay. I said, man, that is earth-shattering. And then they said, we want to see God do something here, and we will fight for you if we have to. (sighs) Craig, what have you done? Y'all, the Lord did a whole lot. The Lord prepared a church. The Lord prepared a young man, and then the Holy Spirit showed up. Healthy churches have healthy pastors because they choose to be healthy churches that will support their pastor's leadership and guidance and direction. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them for their keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that will be of no advantage to you. Folks, the easy answer for the church when we ask the question about what's it take to have a healthy pastor, the easy answer and the answer that people want to hear is not obey your leaders. Because that sounds like I'm just standing up here with a gavel smacking it on the the platform saying, listen to me, listen to me. But God's word says obey your leaders. Why? Because they will give an account. Let them serve you with joy and gladness. But it's not the only answer. The reality is that a pastor can only fulfill his biblical responsibilities if the church allows him to do so. And folks, I see this often in unhealthy churches. They call a pastor, but they limit his ministry by only allowing him to speak into a very narrow lane of ministry. And we'll hear it with sayings like this. We hired you to preach. This word doesn't give a church... The privilege to hire a man to preach. That's a hired gun that you come in to speak. You better be calling men of God to pastor the church, to shepherd over your souls, and to rightly divide the Word of God. Biblically, the pastor is called to much more than preaching. Folks, this is... This is, I I say this at Malvern Hill, and y'all can tell people I said it when you leave... But if y'all want me to stay at Malvern Hill until I retire, y'all can tell everybody I said this because I won't get hired at many places saying what I'm about to say. All right? Committees can be cancerous to a church. Committees can be cancerous to a church. Years ago, we interviewed with a church. I said, what would happen if we needed to hire a, a staff person? They gave me a list of four committees we'd have to talk with before that could happen. Y'all, we left. I didn't look back. Committees can be cancerous to a church. That doesn't mean that committees are bad. I'm going to sit with our budget and finance committee every single month, and we're going to wrestle through the finances of the church. Okay? We have a, 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 a personnel committee that, 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 that helps us in, in the leadership roles of the church. Okay, Hear me say all that. They're not all bad. But the Bible does not dictate committees. Period. And when committees begin to take responsibility and ownership of a local church, here's what's happened. You have taken the church out of a biblical model and placed it into a model that fits what you think it should be. Where do committees come from? Not the pit of hell. Again, that was supposed to be funny. Where do they come from? And this is important. Committees exist in, in churches, like the, the preponderance of committees that exist, especially in Southern Baptist churches. We got like, you can get like 400 of them. 
They were a church growth strategy from the 60s and 70s. Okay, so if you can work with me a little bit, you get World War II, everybody comes home from World War II, they have lots and lots of babies. Okay? But they also come home from World War II and there's this desire. Right now we have this world that just wants to be me, me, me. But at that time, they come out of this World War II era. They come from, from a nation at war. The last thing they want is individual, individual. They recognize the danger of individuality. They want to see this collection of people. And so this is the rise of civic organizations because they don't want to be apart. They want to be together. So you get all these, like the, the, whether they be, even some of these civic organizations that might have existed prior to the war, they really see a resurgence during that post-war generation. So whether it's the VFW or, or the Ruritan Club or the Kiwanis, this is the heyday. Well, what happens is the churches, especially like Lifeway or, or, or the Baptist, Baptist Press at that time, Brahman Holman, they look around and they go, man, everybody's flocking to these civic organizations we want to engage people in our communities. The best way we can engage our communities is if we'll give people a job. Committees were a church growth strategy for the church. This is why, how many of you can still remember the, your, your, the envelope where you checked off all the things when you came to church, right? Brought your Bible and all this stuff, right? Remember that? You can also remember in the era of Sunday school classes that had a teacher and, a, and, a, and an assistant teacher and you had a president and a vice president and you had a treasurer and you had a hospitality person and, and you might have had an outreach person. Why did you have all of those things? And, and I mean, for real, you had them because 50 years ago and 40 years ago there was a belief that if I give somebody a job, they'll continue to come to church. And the more committees we can have, the more we look like the VFW, the more likely they are to show up. Committees didn't come from the Word. Committees haven't existed from time immemorial. Committees came about as a way to engage people in a local church and expand the gospel. But just like any other tool that we use, sometimes they get outdated. And sometimes the tail starts wagging the dog. The committees were formed so that we could reach people. The committees weren't formed so they could run the church. And when a committee usurps the role of a pastor, then watch the day. we got to move on. Watch what happens. The Bible, you remember we started this sermon with qualifications for elders, overseers, pastors, and deacons. You ready for this? What happens when you form a leadership team or a leadership committee in the church? They're not elders or pastors or deacons. And so... You can throw that out. We don't have to consider their character qualifications. And so we can say, well, that's a good business person, so they'd be really good to manage this part. And that person's well-known in the community, but, well, but, but, but are they a drunkard? Oh, it don't matter because they're not, they're not serving in a biblical office. You understand what happens? The church, becomes, the church gets led as a worldly organization because the, the, the people that are placed under the responsibility of leading and guiding the church, no longer are required to follow a biblical pattern. Listen to me. God decides how the church is to be governed. Period. Now, y'all can disagree with me about all sorts of things, and that's fine. I'll preach things that some of y'all disagree with, and that's life. Some of you will come to my office and we might even have a heated disagreement behind the door, closed door of my office. And that's okay. But here's the thing that we can't argue about. God is in control of His church. Period. Now in the Baptist church, we are democratic to our core. Which means that if you decide that your pastor is not adequately fulfilling the roles and the responsibilities that the Bible has dictated he should, there's actually a way in a Baptist church for y'all to get rid of me. It's a two, did somebody say amen to that? <laughs> Stop! <laughs> I'm glad everybody's happy now. <laughs> Hate to break your heart, whoever that was. It's a two-thirds majority and you'll never get there. <laughs> I'll be bringing people in from Alaska. Listen, there's a way. But here's what you can't do, folks. We can't just decide, I don't like it, and throw it out. 
This is why when we've been working through all this, we looked at this as a cycle. Because the reality is you can't have biblical leadership unless you have a commitment to Scripture. Do you understand that if I decide, if I decide that I don't like the way that we appoint pastors, what I have to, assuming that we do it according to this word, what I then have to say is, I don't trust the word of God. But if we trust the word of God, we have no responsibility, or we have no option other than to entrust a pastor or pastors. Side note, whether they be paid or unpaid, this works if you're in a bivocational church or in a volunteer church. Pastors, we have no choice but to entrust with them the responsibilities that this word gives them. Folks, this is one of those sermons that's, that's kind of hard to finish. For one thing, I'm, I'm pretty passionate about pastors. But, but my passion runs both ways. Like My expectation for pastors is way beyond what most of you would have. Okay, Because when I look at the, the, the privileges that are invested in a pastor from God's word, I got no patience for a man who won't do his job and do it well. I got no patience for a pastor who will not work more than 40 hours a week, period. Okay? I just don't. A 40-hour work week is not a biblical work week. That's, that's, that's a, an American work week. You know, I, I'll be honest with you. Our, our pastors, aren't, don't, they're not dying from overwork, so I'm not beating anybody up. But they all know not to walk into my office and say, look, I, put it my, my 40, I hit my 40 hours at, at, at 2.30 on Thursday afternoon because there are weeks when the care of God's people requires more than 40 hours, okay? There are weeks when my sermons do require more than 20 hours. And you know what? I just got to get it done. We've got a higher calling. And my expectation for pastors is high. But y'all, my expectation for churches is high. A church can't be healthy without healthy pastors. And a church won't have healthy pastors unless they're willing to respond biblically. I'm thankful that Malvern Hill does a pretty good job of that. Uh, I, 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 if you're a guest with us this morning, you feel like you walked into like, what in the world? Listen, come back next week. We're going to talk about Jonah, okay? <laughs> We're preaching on Jonah for four weeks starting next week, okay? So come back. Come back. If you're a visitor with us this morning and you're part of an unhealthy church, go back there. And I'm not like this for real. Go back. And go back and do this. Try to be the agent of change in that place to help that church understand what it looks like to follow a pastor biblically. Because I believe that Malvern Hill is a really healthy church, but I'm going to tell you what, our county needs lots of healthy churches if we're going to impact this place for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I didn't say you're not welcome. I just said you might be needed where you came from. But anyway, it's, it's difficult for me to challenge. The takeaways can be challenging, but let me offer a few. Number one, if you aspire to the role of pastor, that is a noble task. I don't want us to ever miss that. I, I, I heard a pastor say one time, he said, if, if my son told me he wanted to be a pastor, I would beg him not to. Y'all, my boys come home and say, Daddy, I want to be a pastor. I'm going to give them my library. Here's everything you need. Let me pray for you. Let me pray for the church that will welcome you one day. It's a noble task. What a privilege to study God's word and care for God's people. So if, if that's you, there might be somebody here today that the Lord is calling to the pastorate or to missions. And maybe for some of you, you went, why did I show up for this sermon? But there's somebody else in here today that went, oh my goodness, that is preached right at me. Listen to me. Stop being afraid and start obeying the Lord. You say, but Craig, I can't. You know what? He doesn't need the, call, the qualified. He will qualify the called. Will you be obedient? God can do something through a man who's willing to obey him. You hear me? There may be somebody here this morning that's not responded properly to pastoral leadership, and today you need to pray for the Lord to forgive you. Maybe you have been one of those people that, that was walking around with an axe looking to grind on a pastor. And look, for some of you, you might have got burned by a pastor. Look, they're not all perfect, okay? I, I don't live in a fantasy world. You might have got burned by a pastor. 
And as a result, you've, you've not really trusted me or, 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 or Buster or Kevin or Adam. Maybe, maybe you don't trust our deacons. You're just walking around always looking because you're just waiting for one of us to make a misstep so you can cut our legs out from under. So listen to me. I'm, I'm sorry if you got burned. Like I'm, I am. I've been burned by pastors before, and it hurts. But y'all, your responsibility is not to me. It's to the Lord. Into his church. If you've been guilty, if you've been guilty of looking for opportunities to disparage a pastor, perhaps today's the day the Lord's calling you to repent of that. Maybe right there in your seat, maybe right up here on this altar, you just need to come and lay that down and say, Lord God, I have been a problem and I need to be a part of the solution. But finally, this morning, there might be some of you here today who need the encouragement of a pastor. I went to coffee with an old friend a while back. He said, I just need a pastor. Craig, I know that I should be more involved in such and so, but I just need a pastor. Can I just talk to you? Somebody here today might just need the engagement of a pastor. Maybe they're here today and, and you desperately need a shepherd to bind up your wounds, maybe to pray for you, to care for you, to walk with you. Would you come today? We're going to sing in just a minute. One of our pastors or deacons would love the opportunity to share the gospel with you. Because there's nothing we love to do more than to talk about what Jesus has done for us. Or to speak into your struggles. Or to just be a shoulder for you to cry on. Folks, this has been a sermon about pastors. But there will be no pastors without a local church. And the mess of a local church is the ministry of a local pastor. And it's our privilege to care for you, to walk with you, to love on you. If there's any way that we can minister to you this morning, we're going to sing. I hope you'll sing to the Lord. But if I can pray for you, one of our other pastors can pray for you. Would you come this morning? Would you come and say, you know what, Craig? I just need somebody to care enough to let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I pray that you be at work among us today. As we sing, Lord God, I pray that our songs would honor you. I pray that our voices would be an offering. Father God, if there are those this morning who need to repent, I pray today would be the day. And Lord God, for those that you may be stirring in their hearts, Lord God, they're, they're, Lord God they, they may be out there right now going, God, I know you've called me to the mission field, or I know you've called me to pastor. And right now they've come up with every excuse for why it is that they can't serve you, Lord God. Father God, I wonder if maybe today they could come forward and trust you, Lord God, to overcome all the excuses, to break away all the obstacles. Lord God, it's a noble task that they desire. Would you be at work? In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us as we sing this morning.